to Mark chapter 13 this morning. We're going to be continuing through this, this chapter. We, we're taking two weeks to uh, kind of work our way through that, and we're going to be looking at the latter half uh, this morning, verses 24 through 37. I'd like to share some song lyrics before we turn to the Word. Um, some of these you may recognize. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died and days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise, turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. Not sure if you're familiar with those. Those are the song lyrics, uh, saddening song lyrics of uh, I Wish We'd All Been Ready by Larry Norman, 1969 album. Um, uh, If you are a DC Talk fan, Jesus Freak album, they did a pretty cool acoustic version of that. Uh, I was listening to that on my deck yesterday with my wife. It was was great. Um, Yeah. now, he was, Larry Norman was not your typical Christian music artist back in that time. He was making some serious waves in his sort of rock and roll approach. And I would just say that this song just left a little bit of trauma on my life as a, as a young person. I, it was like tween, sort of teen years. I remember kind of hearing this and um, just being struck by some of those lyrics like being left behind. There's no time to change your mind. I'm pretty sure my dad had this album, and we probably heard it in the house, but it was the youth leaders who would play it during youth groups that would scare us into heaven. Um, I think the motivation and the method was a little bit off in that regard, because I remember rather than communicating my need for a Savior because of my sinful heart, and I was driven and compelled to Christ for hope, for forgiveness, and a rescue in Jesus, uh, to know, to treasure God. I was driven by fear of my own preservation. Uh, so it was Nate-oriented, not, not God-oriented. And so as you heard those lyrics, you might have picked up on, if you were here last week, some of the elements of Mark 13, some of the found in, in the lyrics, the, the wars and famine. Um, Larry Norman was speaking of a, of a secret end-time rapture where some... So Christians were, were caught up in the air and others were not. They were left behind or husband, wife, kind of like she turns and, dude, there's my husband, gone. Um, and then others who were left behind, who were unready. The day or the hour we don't know of, and that's, that's going to leave some people hopeless. Uh, and so when the sun comes, don't be left behind. Well, when we look at Mark 13, as we began last week in in Continuing today, Jesus, Jesus is predicting a, a destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and beyond that, signs of the future in the end times. And, and it's all coming off of a question that the disciples ask, when will these things happen, this destruction that Jesus points to of this temple, not one stone left on the other? When will these signs of this end thing come? And Jesus begins to speak of the end times of a, of a readiness when wars and famine come, when sufferings for being a disciple for Jesus' sake. Uh, what does it look like to be ready? 
So, rather than the disciples being left unready, Jesus is speaking words of preparation for his disciples to provoke hope, not despair. So, the tone isn't sadness and and doom, it is a readiness of hope for his disciples. His disciples are ones that should have hope and confidence in the trustworthy words of the Messiah, of Christ, who is Lord and who loves his people. And he loves his disciples. And so let's read the rest of our chapter here. And uh, we're going to pray and, and work through these. Beginning in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will, give its, will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, leaves, you know the summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you don't know when that time will come. See, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servant in charge, each one with his own work, and commands a doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we, we thank you that we've got this morning already the, the privilege of just lifting our gaze and our heart to you, Jesus, to, to behold our God, to behold our King on his throne And and Lord, we need you today, we need you today by your Spirit as we read your word, as we hear from you, to to put all all our heart on you, to to have eyes to see, ears to hear, to look up, and to hear your words. Um, There's plenty of stuff around us that is anxious-inducing right now, Um, troubles, and Lord, we, we need to hear your word something that will keep, keep us confident and steady. And so help us by your Spirit to hear your words. Let us receive those. Help me, Lord, empower me to speak your words faithfully and clearly. And may we, your people, leave hopeful today. Hopeful today. Amen. Amen. Oh, as mentioned, we're continuing this 
this chapter, and, and I think the, the main idea that we communicated last week falls in suit with what we are going to find this week. It, and Jesus teaching his disciples not to be disillusioned by what's going on or what's going to happen after his resurrection and ascension and as they follow him. They're not going to, they're not going to be get knocked off course about all that's going to happen to them, but to keep their eyes fixed. And so I think Jesus is, is trying to help his disciples to keep trusting and following him as Messiah in a world full of calamities or sufferings for his name's sake while proclaiming his gospel all the way to the end. We addressed this, this last week, sort of a challenge with this entire chapter and so maybe some of the variety of backgrounds or teachings that maybe you come in with and, and some things that are okay just to kind of leave unknown because we don't know. Um, but we have these two major predictions going on, how they relate to the then and there for those disciples specifically, what's going to happen in their time, um, and maybe the first readers and hearers of Mark regarding their life following him, all the calamities they're going to experience, Jerusalem and the city, and then what relates to the future, the end, the last days, Jesus' return. And so we discover sort of a disagreement on which parts relate to which one. Yeah, Jesus wants them, and we, we know this for sure, to not be caught up in all of the signs and deciphering the future, but to be prepared. Uh, one commentator, uh, Walter Wessel, says this. He said, the main purpose of the discourse is not to satisfy curiosity about the future, but to give practical, ethical teaching. In this discourse, Jesus combines eschatology, or like future things, with exhortation, with the emphasis on the latter. He is preparing his disciples and beyond them the church to live and to witness in a hostile world. So, don't get caught up on all those signs and trying to figure out timelines, but to be faithful disciples. Follow Jesus as Messiah. Be faithful to the gospel. And then, so we've got this past discipleship, this future thing, and then here for us, the church. I think he's accurate. The church, this is for us, 2022. What does it look like for us to remain faithful to Jesus? And we need to remain faithful to Jesus because we, we are in this in-between, what, what the Bible would call the last days. We are in the last days. The last days can be viewed as a time after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, until the time that he returns, which is, which is the last day. We are in this in-between of the last days. So natural catastrophes are going to happen. Political upheavals are going to happen. Christians are going to be hated for Jesus' sake and be rejected on his behalf. Let this not surprise us. And we're not to be caught up panicky, entranced, trying to decode what's going on or what that end time thing is, is, but instead rest in him. Faithful disciples, busy about the gospel's call, ready, on guard. We heard last week, do not be anxious, but to trust Jesus' words God's plan and his timing. Last week we heard in verse 7, do not be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. There's plenty of things to alarm us. And Jesus is saying, don't be alarmed. So we're going to hear again today repetitions of that. Jesus reminding them, be on guard, watch, trust me. So if Matthew 13 is a word for disciples, what will we do or what should we hear from Jesus regarding these sort of last Days. Well, picking up from last week, we're going to take this text in some sections. Jesus was telling his disciples to be prepared 
to hightail it out of Jerusalem for safety when all this stuff is happening and to not be duped by false messiahs. And then we see in verse 24, Jesus says this, but, so but kind of indicates a shift from what was going on in verses 5 through 23. He's going to be speaking to something beyond that immediate moment, beyond that immediate expectation of Jerusalem or the temple's destruction. And Jesus now lifts their gaze and he gives an answer towards that last day, the end. He says, in, but in those days, after the tribulation, after that tribulation, or after that distress, following that distress, and he's going to go on and explain what's happening, but what, what is this distress? What is this tribulation? Well, I believe he's speaking of the fall of Jerusalem and the temple and all the sufferings are going to follow. The day that is going to follow when he returns. So, after those days, that distress, there's a day that's going to come. And what's going to happen on that day? What will happen when Jesus returns? The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. Stars will fall from the sky. Heavenly bodies are going to be shaking. Planets, the, the, the cosmos is going to feel the effects of Jesus' return. Now, this language, you, you can pick up references of this throughout the Old Testament. It's connections to this end-time apocalyptic experience that's going to happen. And this goes way beyond like rocks and stones getting tumbled and knocked over. The entire cosmos is experiencing something in this moment. Heaven and earth and planets and stars are responding to the authority and the will of God. The pagan cultures would worship these planets and these stars. And, and Jesus is now saying, the, these are not to be worshipped. They are, they are bowing to the reality of who I am as the Son of God. They're responding to my majesty. Don't worship them. Remember who the Son, with all authority and who He is. All creation is going to respond and worship to Him. And at that time, when Jesus returns, verse 26 People will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So unlike Norman's description of a secret, invisible coming of the Son, it is observable. It is public. It is immediate and sudden. And people will see when the Son of Man comes. Now, this Son of Man reference is going back to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel has a prophetic image of this figure that would be foretold that would come. And I'm going to read that, verses 13 and 14. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Glorious Son returning in power and glory, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. No earthly catastrophe or resistance is going to stop the Son of Man and his glory 
in his return. And what does he do in his coming? What is his purpose? To gather his elect from all of the world, from all of the heavens, pull in all of his people. So in fulfillment of Scripture, God now gathers all of his chosen people, all of his elect, to Jesus, his Son, through his Son, Christ the Messiah. Jesus is the divine Son, and what could be seen, at least for those disciples, as he moves towards his cross, and all of what could be despairing hope of what they're about to witness suffering at the hands of men, humiliated on the cross, the suffering servant who came as a ransom for many. In that dark hour when creation shook, he then rose victorious. What, what they thought was the end of something, those religious leaders thought, by that act, Jesus secured salvation for his people. He sits on his throne, and he's going to come back in power and in glory to reign as king, his everlasting kingdom forever and ever, and all nations are going to be gathered to worship him. So the cross that loomed ahead that looked like the destruction of the Messiah's glory is actually what compels him and propels him into this glorious moment. So far from his return inducing fear for his people, it's one of hopeful joy. It's a promise. It's a promise of what God will do for his people. Now imagine being some of the first hearers of of this in Mark, those first century believers under the Roman oppression, maybe in the Colosseum being eaten for the sake of Christ by lions, mocked, imprisoned. As we talked about last week, the, the imprisoned 21st century Christians under a North Korean dictator. Jesus, his authority is going to have the last word over every evil kingdom over every ruler on this earth. All the stars and all kingdoms are going to bow to him. And he will gather up all his promised, all, all his people by his promise. None of his saints are going to get left behind. Not one of them. And it's going to be through his act of power and glory. Then Jesus tells this parable of a fig tree. And he I believe he shifts back then to the present disciples. Well, how, how do we know this? Well, Jesus says, when you see these things, Jesus is pointing back to the first question that disciples ask in, cha- in verse 2 in the chapter about the reference to the temple. When will these things happen? And two times in this section, Jesus references these things. These things relate to what will happen to those stones in the temple and the city. So Jesus is talking about not the end of the world, but the end of this temple and its destruction. So I believe that that's why he says this generation will not pass away until these things happen. I think maybe another callback is the the lesson of the fig tree points back to Jesus' illustration earlier about the fig tree connecting to the temple in chapter 11. So I think this generation relates to those who are going to experience the destruction of the city. So what does he tell us about the fig tree? Well, the fig tree 
unlike an evergreen tree that doesn't change in its season, the fig tree is like trees that would lose their leaves in the fall or spring would, would bud. And so he tells when the, when the twigs sort of pop out, when the leaves start, you know another season is coming. So I think what Jesus is saying, when the season happens, when you know that it or he is at the door, when he's, when he's at the door, we know that the, another season is coming. So what is near or when what is at the door? Well, it's his return, but he says it's not yet. So like budding leaves indicating that summer's on the way, summer's not present, it's just spring. Or like your sufferings or the wars or the famine are like birth pains, the end is not yet. Or like all of these persecutions or the city being leveled would make you think that the end is right there, Jesus is saying it's near, it's at the gate, but it's not the end. It's not that last day yet. We maybe should hear Jesus' words from chapter 1. The kingdom of God is near or at hand. So Jesus is present. His kingdom is present. In other words, I am the fulfillment of the words of the Old Testament. I am the Messiah. Salvation is here, but my end, my return, my second coming is not yet there. And all we know is it's going to happen, but it's, there's, there's a time to wait. And when it does come, all the cosmos is going to know. You, you're not going to be able to miss that. But the timing on that day and that hour, we'll get to in a moment, no one knows. And then what kind of guarantee are we given by Jesus of his promises? Verse 31, but heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. My words. Jesus wants his disciples to fix their hearts on his words. All creation could be dissolving around you, breaking apart, the suffering so intense. You're ready for it to be done. You're ready to tap out. You're ready to walk away. My words are trustworthy and true. I know my elect. I'm coming back from my elect. Everything's going to be falling apart sometimes, but trust me and wait. Maybe, maybe you know that it's not the end time. Maybe it's not the end is coming. But maybe the circumstances of your life right now feel like it's all crumbling under you. It's, it's those moments where it feels like the sun has gone out and it's just black and dark and there are, no, there are not even stars to seem to guide you in those moments. What assurance, what insurance are, are you going to hold on to in that? What assurance is Jesus wanting us to hold on to? My words. Trust my words. Cling to my promises. Not words of the doctor. Not words of the bank. Not words of politician. It's my words, saints. That's what we cling to. That's what makes us hopeful. That's what makes Christians, us being able to worship, when all that's going on around us or in your life right now, we look to your promises, Jesus. We're going to hold to your words. Your words. Your words, and those words are for you, saint. 
Those words are for you. And then Jesus wraps up his message with a, with a bit, of, bit of a cliffhanger. I mean, I can imagine at this point the disciples, okay, Jesus, you've been preaching for a while. I mean, this is a whole chapter. He's been going at it. I mean, they got their iPhones out at this point, and they got their calendar up. They're, they're waiting for the reminder where to put the date on that thing. All right, Jesus, we asked when the signs are. When is this going to happen? Just tell us the signs so we know. And then Jesus says, but that day or that hour, which is pointing back to the coming of the Son of Man, verse 32, nobody knows. What? What, Jesus? No, Jesus says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, me, me, the Messiah, but only the Father knows. Only the Father knows the day or the hour? Okay, Jesus, you're Messiah. We're asking you this particular question because we think you, being the Son of God, would know. I mean, the question would come to us, and maybe you've asked that, or he's Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. How, How would he not know this? Well, I think he he is answering by just limiting his choice in knowing that in his humanity, his awareness of that day, does he entrust himself to the Father's will as he would soon pray in that garden, not my will, but yours. And he tells them this unknown thing. I don't know the hour. I don't know the date. There's nothing you can put in your, your calendar. So be on guard. Be awake. Be in guard. Be awake because you do not know when that time will be. And he goes on to use a parable of the watchman. And he talks about four references or, or windows of time that would be a reference to how the Romans would understand these four different watches of a day. The watchman's task was to keep watch over a home or a city or a vineyard to, to keep guard of what's going on from enemies and protecting that property. And Jesus is returning. He's saying it's, it's like an owner of a house. You need to be like a servant, busy, awaiting his return, but not to sleep, not to fall asleep. Be awake. Don't sleep. As I think about that, I think of the irony of that, like staying awake all the time. Wouldn't that be like troubling? Like I would want to rest. Studies actually show if you don't sleep, that's very problematic. Being awake for at least 24 hours is equal to having a blood alcohol content of 0.10. This is higher than the legal limit of 0.08. Yet for the Christian, the irony there is our staying awake doesn't induce sleepiness or impair us. Our staying awake actually makes us more alert. Our watchfulness, because we're watching and we're fixing eyes on Christ and His Word and His Gospel, it it brings increased attention to wisdom, increased affection and anticipation for who He is, and increased awareness and longing for His return. We're resting in Jesus' words and His sovereign plan, yet when we get our eyes off of those things, we become numb, we become drowsy, we become indifferent, we become slothful and distracted by others' words rather than Jesus's. We become sleepy, we become detached from being present to the moment. Sleepiness keeps us detached from being present to the moment. 
as I was thinking on this, and as you could maybe kind of feel the fall crisp in the air, I don't know, I felt that this week, I did, yeah, <laughs> amen, brother, but in that, I'm looking forward to NFL football on Sundays, I, I enjoy that post-church, you know, gathering, I'm at home, and I'm watching some football, and yet there's something, you know, that just kind of hits me as I'm sitting there watching that game, just drowsiness sort of settles over me. And um, it's like football in the background, and then there's dog and kids going all over the place. And I, I don't really care so much about watching the game anymore, is that sleepy sets in. I'd stop watching the score, which sometimes it's kind of ignorance is bliss when you're watching the Cowboys play. It's like, I don't know the score, it's okay. But if I get sleepy, it, I disappear from the moment. There's all this information and stuff going on kids and whatever, and I'm, I'm just not even present. I don't even know what's going on. It's just kind of a, just a, a noise in the background. I don't realize Jesus doesn't want that for us in the sense that he doesn't want us to disappear from the moment. He wants us present to the moment. He wants our hearts and minds and thoughts and affections present to the moment. So far from in times thinking, causing us, causing us to disengage and hide and create some, some cabin out in the woods and hunker down with all of our food and whatever that might look like. He's saying, no, be present here. Be present as my disciples. The goal for us not to be caught up in the signs and all of that stuff is not that we wouldn't discern what's going on, that not that we wouldn't be wise about situations and about our culture and what God would want us to respond to, but our eyes aren't fixed on those It's that we're alert and present to what the Lord is doing and His Word and what He wants and that our hands are busy as His servants about His work and knowing that He is in control over all things. He's got the timing figured out. The timeline is orchestrated in His sovereign good plan and we are busy disciples about His plan and His things He's called us to. James Edwards says, No one is either encouraged or commanded for attempting to be an eschatological code cracker. That is folly. For even the Son of Man is ignorant of the end. The premium of discipleship is placed not on predicting the future, but on faithfulness in the present, especially in trials and adversity in suffering. Sometimes the very things that feels like we're so disoriented, we cannot go on. And Jesus' words come and say, I'm with you. I'm in control. Be faithful to the present. Watch. Jesus calls his disciples to watch. Be watchful. And Jesus ends, I will say to you, and I say to everyone, so every disciple for every age, For us right now here in 2022, let's be awake. Let's remain faithful. Let's be those servants in his house, ready, anticipating what he is doing. I think we can hear in Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica an echo of Jesus' words. In the midst of loss and uncertainty and people dying in among them, their congregation, they, they weren't sure of what's going on in the future. He tells them this in 1 Thessalonians 5. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. 
For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having on the breastplate of faith and love for the helmet um, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to tame salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that we, who are, whether we are awake or asleep, meaning those who have died or who are present, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Church, since we are children of the light, we are awake. We have, by the grace of God, been awake. We can be aware. We're not caught off guard like a, by someone who would maybe have a thief come in. Those who are in darkness, but who can be on guard. We can be awake. We can be, we can be sober. I mean, we can, just, we can think rightly and make good decisions and walk faithfully. We can apply ourselves to our job and our tasks as his disciples. Salvation is ours. Faith and love is operating in us. And we can be busy about building one another up in hope, encouraging one another, doing good to one another and the world around us with the gospel as we anticipate that day. That's good news for us. But we know the story of these disciples and just how they would err and not quite be on point all the time. And that includes us. That includes us. Jesus tells his disciples once again later in Mark chapter 14. He uses those same words. Keep watch. Entirely different setting. The hours are closing in. The minutes are closing in on him for his cross. He's going to be taken. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. And he's in the garden and he's praying. He's praying. He's crying out to the Father for strength to do the Father's will. To embrace the cross that is awaiting him. And he, and he brings some of his disciples with him in that hard moment. And, and he asks them to keep watch. Pray with me. What do they do? They fall asleep. He goes and prays. He comes back, wakes them up. Please, would you keep watch with me? Would you keep watch? They fall asleep. Again and again. But you know who doesn't fall asleep? Jesus asserts all his faith and trust and reliance upon the Father and obedience to his will for that very hour in obedience to that hour, the darkness that would close in upon him, bearing the just wrath of God for the sins of men upon the cross. Aren't you thankful that Jesus did not resist the hate and the rejection of men, but embraced it all for you and I? He took into himself on that moment all the, the evils and the sins and the sufferings and the pain as a substitute for us. He perfectly gave his will as a son into the Father's hand. And he didn't forego, but embraced his cross for those disciples who lose sight. 
For those disciples, those disciples whose vision and attention oftentimes drifts from fixing upon the Savior and waiting as we should. Church, he is steadfast towards his people. This is a promise for disciples who are going to waver and struggle, and he's encouraging them to stay steadfast. But this is the promise in the back end of all that. He is the one that is steadfast for us. In our weakness, in our, in our stumblings, in our sufferings, Psalm 121 tells us the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. That 24-7 he guards over his people. God's work of grace and power in us enables us to watch and to labor and to anticipate. But in our wavering, church, we have a Savior that we can go to when those things don't happen perfectly. We can find forgiveness. We can find grace. And we can find help to be his servants, faithfully doing our tasks, keeping watch, doing our jobs, loving our families, neighboring as we should, our ministries, in obedience to the Lord, waiting giving our hearts to him. It's interesting that observation that Mark sandwiches Jesus' teaching in chapter 13 between two stories of two women who pour out all that they have for God to, to give all of their heart to him. I think part of that is for us to illustrate and remind it, Lord, this is going to take our hearts being poured out. Now, I'm certain that God used Larry Norman's song and other parts of his ministry of read things. I've talked to people who've been helped by that to stir up conviction for many people to see their need for Jesus. Um, I, I think Larry Norman got right in the, the tone of the song in that it's, there's a, a sobriety and a sadness for those who, who do not place their faith in Jesus. Here's the truth. In God's mercy today, in these last days, in between his ascension and between his second coming, there's opportunity for people to turn to Jesus and place their hope in Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us it's God's patience that he waits, that, that none would perish, that, that would come to repentance. So by his mercy, he has not yet returned, and he holds out opportunity for you and I to repent and put our faith in Jesus. So I would, I would plead with you today, if you are here and you are not trusting in Christ, it is God's mercy and kindness that he has not come back yet, that that day of judgment has not come, and you can, by God's mercy, place your hope in him. Would you do that today? God's holding out his grace and mercy and saying, come and trust in him. Trust in him. But for those who are in Christ, Jesus' return anticipates not fear, but a, a wonderful hope and joy. I mean, just think about that sort of servant kind of being in the home, waiting, watchful for that, the, the master to return. I, I, could, I could almost shift that even to the place of that. We're, we're his children. And though this is kind of far removed from what, well, I guess it's a part of this is that everyone works at home now. Dad's not away and then comes back. But also my kids are much bigger than they used to, than they used to be. But I'd love that I'd come home and my kids would all be little and they'd rush in and be giving me hugs and, and love on me when I'd come home from the office. Man, this, this is what we get to wait for. This is what we're anticipating. We're watching, not in fe fearful trepidation, but we're waiting our Father coming home for us to be with Him. 
where he's going to gather all of his children from the east and from the west, from the north and to the south into his presence. So we watch. We watch, not in anxiety, not in fear, but we watch for Jesus to come back, as Titus 2.13 tells us, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us keep watching, saints. Let's be busy about the Savior's work and call for us. Let us hold to his words with one another. And let's do that together as God's people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the the hopeful word that comes to us in your son Jesus, our blessed hope, the appearing that's going to come with with cosmic ramifications and response. But but in that coming, Jesus, your promise is that you're going to, when, when the heavens and earth sort of seem to be falling away, you're going to, you promise to bring your people to yourself, to keep your people, to watch over your people. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't sleep nor slumber, but you guard your beloved. And because you guard your beloved, because you watch over us, Lord, there is an empowering grace for us to, to keep our hearts steady upon you. Because of what you've done, Jesus. Because, because you did, you did secure for us that heavenly place. And so teach us to anticipate with joy. For those of us that are here, Lord, that they, maybe it does feel like the darkness is closing in and grounding them is just simply crumbling. Would you, would you give them hope today through your words that you are near, that you're a watching over them, that you care for them. God, that your sovereign good hand is, is you're not neglecting, you're not overlooking, you're not asleep, but you see. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus, today. 